tired of blogs? <laughs> Me too. Moby Lives Radio starts now. the intergalactic headquarters of Melville House Publishing in Hoboken, New Jersey, a.k.a. the left bank of New York City, it's Moby Lives Radio. Greetings, Earthlings. It's Monday, the 5th day of December, 2005. I'm Dennis Johnson. On today's show, I'll be talking to Connie Debley. She's the executive producer of C-SPAN's Book TV, and I'll be asking her why Book TV doesn't do programming about fiction, and what happens if they record a reading by a writer who turns out to be really boring. I'll also be reading your letters to the editor, but first, here's some news from the book world. New York City was awash in independent publishers this weekend. The small press center on 44th Street was hosting a book fair celebrating its 20th anniversary, and several leading distributors of independent presses, including the Independent Publishers Group and what is perhaps the leading distributor of independent literary and political houses, Consortium, were all having their sales conferences in Midtown, too, but The real news was the leading independent publisher who's leaving town. Colin Robinson, the popular head of the New Press, one of the country's leading leftist publishing houses, will be leaving the company. Reliable sources have informed Mobiles Radio. Robinson joined the New Press as publisher in late 2001, when the company's legendary founder, Andre Schifrin, had stepped aside. Prior to that, Robinson had been head of another famous leftist press, Great Britain's Verso, where he had, in fact, published Schifrin's classic manifesto, The Business of Books. Robinson had expanded Verso to a New York office before coming on board at the new press. The company has not yet issued a statement, but my sources say that on Friday, Robinson informed staffers individually that He planned to depart after the Christmas holidays. The departure appears to be amicable, with Robinson telling people that he simply differed with the company's board over the direction he would have liked to take the company. The announcement caught most people by surprise, and Robinson apparently has no other immediate job in mind. No word either on a possible replacement, although both Schifrin and his founding partner Diane Wachtel both still play active roles at the New Press. Moby Lives listeners no doubt know the story of J.K. Rowling, the poor single mother with a hungry child to feed who got the idea for Harry Potter while despairingly waiting for a train that was late and went on to write it on a series of paper napkins in cafes and, well, you know the rest. Well, now acclaimed Norwegian filmmaker Nina Grunfeld says it's all a hoax. In a commentary for the Norwegian newspaper Aften Posten, Grunfeld asks, quote, Can a person be so productive and commercially successful in a media industry where nothing is left to coincidence? 
Grunfeld goes on, quote, Is it possible that a person can write six thick books that are translated into 55 languages and sell more than 250 million copies in less than 10 years? Is it probable that the stories that get filmed and commercially exploited to the degree seen here without any well-thought-out strategy or highly professional players behind them, is it possible that J.K. Rowling exists? Well, who do they think they're kidding? Not me. Grunfeld goes on to say that the person we know as Rowling is an actress and is part of a conspiracy akin to the hoax that the non-existent Carolyn Keene, for example, wrote all the Nancy Drew books. Uh, except this hoax is run by the giant conglomerates Bloomsbury, PLC, and Warner Brothers, she says. Quote, I think the secret behind J.K. Rowling is guarded more strongly than the entrance to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, says Grunfeld. Meanwhile, wire service reports out of London say Rowling has announced she already has plans for a new series to begin after the conclusion of the Potter series. That'll be with the next book. Quote, there is another book that's sort of smoldering in a cupboard that I quite like, which is for slightly younger children, she says. However, she adds that whatever she does next will be done under a pseudonym. Israeli author Aaron Appelfeld has been announced as the winner of one of Germany's most esteemed literary prizes, the Nellie Sachs Prize for Literature. The 73-year-old author won the prize for his Story of a Life, his harrowing account of his childhood in wartime Eastern Europe. The Nellie Sachs Prize, named for the 1966 Nobel Prize winner, is handed out every two years. Researchers at Central Connecticut State University say Seattle is America's most literate city. Studies surveying the literacy of 69 of the country's largest cities found the top five were rounded out by Minneapolis, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, and San Francisco. So much for the New York-centric publishing industry. Barely two years after being acquired for $250 million by the Chicago investment house Willis, Stein, and Partners, Baker & Taylor, the country's second-largest book wholesaler, is up for sale, according to a report by Ed Christman of the Book Standard. Baker & Taylor would not comment, but Christman reports... Quote, people familiar with Baker and Taylor say that while they are unaware of any activity to unload the company, there's always the potential for the wholesaler to be up for sale since it is owned by a financial institution whose purpose, by definition, is to grow value and then cash it in. Meanwhile, others in the industry observed that for years, one reason no one knew how many books Amazon.com sold was because they filtered much of their buying through Baker and Taylor. But when the online retailer began warehousing more of its own books this year, some say business was down for B&T. Meanwhile, Christman at BookStandard reports possible buyers include Ingram, the only book wholesaler that was bigger than Baker and Taylor. And that's the news. Or is it? For Monday, the 5th of December, 2005, I'm Dennis Johnson. It's December 5th. This day in literary history marks the death in 1870 of Alexandre Dumas, 
the popular French author best known for his action-packed, swashbuckling historical novels, The Three Musketeers and The Count of Monte Cristo. Dumas was born in France in 1802. His father, the illegitimate son of a Haitian slave and a French aristocrat, enlisted in Napoleon's army, working his way up to the rank of general, but fell into disfavor and died when Dumas was quite young. Though raised in poverty, Dumas, through his prodigious literary output, earned and spent several fortunes. He was enormously prolific and wildly popular, and he is credited with single-handedly resurrecting the French historical novel. Though single-handedly is really not quite right, because he had a lot of help. He produced 250 books with the help of some 73 assistants, especially with the help of history teacher Auguste Maquet. Though Dumas himself claimed that he only began writing his books when they were complete in his head, Maquet often proposed subjects and wrote first drafts for some of Dumas' most famous novels, including The Three Musketeers and The Man in the Iron Mask. But as a master of dialogue, Dumas started out in the theater, he developed the character's particular traits and kept the action moving and composed those all-important chapter endings, the teaser scenes that kept the readers wanting more. This was key because Dumas was among the first to exploit the potential of the serialized novel. The lifting of press censorship in the 1830s gave rise to a rapid spread of newspapers, and editors began to lure readers by publishing entertaining serialized novels. These were read by everyone, regardless of class, and Dumas' first serialized novel, Captain Paul, immediately added 5,000 subscribers to the Siècle newspaper. And Dumas was to earn roughly 200,000 francs yearly from newspapers for his work, earning from La Presse, for example, 65,000 francs for 220,000 words. Just recently, an unfinished novel by Dumas was found in the archives of the National Library in Paris. It was his last, the third in a swashbuckling trilogy about the reign of Napoleon Bonaparte. At 1,077 pages and 118 chapters, you do the math on how many francs that represents. But the fact that death prevented him from writing the last chapter makes particularly poignant what were said to be his last words. Quote, now I shall never know how it turns out. I'm Valerie Marians, and that's This Day in Literary History. I know my chickens. You got to know you are I have Connie Debley on the line. Connie is the executive producer, is that the right title, Connie? Exactly. Of Book TV, C-SPAN's wonderful weekend programming about the literary world. Connie, welcome to Mobiliz Radio. Glad to be here. And why don't we start by just having you tell listeners, the stray two or three listeners who have been on another planet for a little while, <laughs> what exactly Book TV is? Well, Book TV is... Uh, the weekend programming on C-SPAN 2. It's 48 hours of non-fiction book programming from 8 a.m. Saturday to 8 a.m. Monday on holidays. Sometimes we throw an extra day in there. Um, and it is designed to give people a chance to see, hear, and talk about uh, new books, old books, uh, and authors. And what exactly is the relationship 
with with C-SPAN one or just C-SPAN? Do you share programming or how does that work? Um, you know, our our philosophies are the same. Mm-hmm. The um, unedited types of programming, the fly on the wall feel, mm-hmm. all of that we continue into Book TV. Now, how did you end up at Book TV? Well, I've been here forever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I started at C-SPAN in 84 uh-huh. and uh, have done a variety of different things here, including producing the Supreme Court coverage, the international coverage, the Washington Journal uh, morning show. And it was in um, early 98 that we started really feeling a sense of frustration about our book programming. Mm-hmm. We only had We had the one program, which was very successful, Book Notes, and the idea came out of that. Uh, the frustration with books is that we could only do one book a week. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these books out there. We were getting 52 a week, and what about the other 1,000? And that's how, uh, basically, Book TV was born. I, at the time, was, was producing the morning show um, on the Washington Journal, and they came to me and said, would you take a year off of doing that and start this concept and get it going? Mm-hmm. And my response to them was, uh, I would love to. Uh, however, you got the wrong person here because I read fiction. What changed your mind? I fell in love with nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the kind of thing where you don't know. If you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I just had never taken the time to, to read a lot of nonfiction and realize that the new nonfiction is better, not better, but as good as any fiction. Mm-hmm. And so I got really hooked. I got hooked on the the books, I got hooked on the authors, I got hooked on the programming, and um, we celebrated our seventh anniversary in September. This is, you're touching upon one of the most kind of noted features of Book TV, which is that um, it is only nonfiction, although I see you've yeah. got a big three-hour program with John Updike coming up, yeah. but I guess he writes a certain amount of There's you're right. We stretch periodically, but the, you will find that the overwhelming bulk of what we do is nonfiction. Why? Because again, it it is part of the umbrella of C-SPAN. Um, wh- when I think about the um, ESPN, I don't think about ever turning on ESPN and finding a cooking show on there. Well, people don't turn to C-SPAN for fiction. They think of us as a nonfiction network. Uh, and so, but we made a very conscious decision to do that. Now, um, who do you see as your audience if you're going for just nonfiction? Um, does that what does that say about who you believe is Book TV's audience? Well, you know, I um, I have to think that there is a certain group that's out there, like I was, that just loves books, always loved books. And uh, fiction, nonfiction, doesn't matter, want to meet the authors, that type of thing. And, you know, I think to some degree um, the C-SPAN audience in general that loves history, biography, public policy kinds of books uh, or or issues are are, uh, easily gravitated to us. Mm -hmm. And then I think we pick up this other group of people. Um, You know, uh, that whole whole adage... um, I don't think I'm going to watch TV tonight, honey. I'm going to go read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we see that as kind of, ours is kind of the opposite, the ability to bring the visual television nature of books um, 
into into people's lives who traditionally are readers. Mm-hmm. You don't see a conflict of some kind. There. Oh no, I see a synergy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as technology continues, um, uh, I think it's it, it's more and more. The other thing is is that um, there are a lot of people who do not have the access to authors that those in you know Washington, Boston, New York. San Francisco, et cetera, do. That, you know, this vast group of readers out there who live in medium to small-sized cities where an author never comes to read. And their chances of ever seeing their favorite author are almost nil. And so what I like about what we do is that ability to, that a person can say, oh, I loved that book, I want to see who wrote it. And no matter whether you come from a town of a thousand or a hundred thousand or a hundred, you know, or a million, mm-hmm. it, you get the same experience. Mm-hmm. Well, what about what what goes into into portraying that experience? I know here at Melville House we've done several events with with Book TV. Oh, sure. And um, it's, it's an amazing crew you've got here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but I imagine you don't have such an amazing crew in, in every city in America, and yet I see programming from all across the country. How does, how does it work? How do, you, how do you pick an event? Um, how do you pick an event uh, in a place? And then how do you actually go about getting that event on sure. TV? It is a process that begins with two very talented people we have on our staff who or actually three now, whose jobs are to go through the books. We, we uh, work toward starting this process by choosing the book. It begins with the book. Right. We try not to start with the author, although there are some authors who are such long-term good writers that when you hear their name and they have a new book coming out, you're thinking, well, we'll probably do that. But we always start with the book. And they hone down this, uh, this huge number of books into, um, well, let's say, for November, we probably considered about 175 different books. Mm-hmm. And that comes into an editorial meeting. And these producers um, sit around with me, and we look at the books, we look at the authors, they pitch what the book is about and what they know about the book, and... Um, and then we decide to do the book. Mm-hmm. The next decision after that is where we do the book. Mm-hmm. And actually, that is one of the key decisions uh, for a variety of reasons. One is because it is our goal at Book TV not to be um, completely New York-centric. Right. <laughs> um, right. The idea is, is that there are readers and readings going on all around the country, so we want to represent... Uh, diverse areas and diverse uh, sizes of cities all over the country. But the second and probably more important thing is the content. Mm -hmm. How can the content of the venue enhance an experience? Well, sometimes it's the topic. You know, we want to... um, Let's. Uh, we were. I'm trying to what, give you. What do you mean by content of the venue? Well, uh, well, what I mean is that the people who might come to that um, to that venue for that reading have something to offer that would enhance the watcher. Mm-hmm. For example, um, 
there, there's that new book about the history of the Dust Bowl mm-hmm. that's out. We were just talking about it this week in our editorial meeting. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the author is actually from Seattle. Mm-hmm. And um, we said, you know, we don't want to get that in Seattle. It's not very dusty in Seattle. We want to go get it someplace where the, you know, where the Dust Bowl uh, actually impacted the lives of the people around there. Uh-huh. So we would then go and try to find someplace more in the Midwest. Um, sometimes, if it's a biography, uh, it's, it's more of finding um, the place in which the people might know more about this issue or this topic. Uh, history is also a good example there. If it's a history of something, we want to go to that city. Mm-hmm. Because usually people who live in that city who would come to something like that would have excellent questions mm-hmm. for the author. Not that they wouldn't in other places, but you know, maybe more informed questions. My favorite example of this is um, a Canadian guy who wrote a memoir about um, leaving, about uh, deserting the country in order not to fight in the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And he wrote his memoir and came back and to the, into the United States. And the producer said to me, we think this is, this is a good book. And I said, fine, where all is this person speaking? And they started talking and bup, 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 bup. And then they said, Broken Bow, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And I said, hello? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Broken Bow, Nebraska. I said, wait a second, New York, you know, Chicago, Broken Bow, Nebraska? Mm-hmm. And um, found out that, indeed, that's where he was from. Mm-hmm. And the people who came to that venue had very strong feelings about him deserting. I'll bet. Uh, or and it wasn't actually deserting, but leaving the country so that he would not be drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that venue became more important because it was a story about his life. Mm-hmm. Well, as somebody who's been to hundreds, if not thousands, of readings at this point, mm-hmm. one thing that, that occurs to mind is that, is that most readings are, are fairly dull events. They're not exactly you know, uh, great TV. Um, so I can see where the audience is an important component to you and the, the, the location is an important component. I know C-SPAN, uh, I'm sorry, Book TV once did one of our events that we held in a bar. Right. Um, which turned out to be a really beautiful kind of spooky location. It was, I remember. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested that it starts with the book for you. At what point do you start worrying about just the performance aspect of the mm-hmm. writer so that you don't have, uh, I mean, where the, where the rubber meets the road in this right. instance is where the, the writer meets the microphone. Well, yeah, um, that is one of the beauty of C-SPAN in general, mm-hmm. is that we are the network that still takes chances mm-hmm. in this area. Why? Because we have three networks on 24 hours mm-hmm. a day, mm-hmm. and we, sometimes we hit and sometimes we miss, mm-hmm. and we don't take advertising, so nobody says we're shutting you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we are a consortium of the cable television industry, and, um, and as with that and as with book TV, sometimes we hit and sometimes we miss. So it's kind of like the the initial mission of C-SPAN to, to record Congress, which Absolutely. is sometimes Congress is boring, but you know, we're representing you, the reality. And you know, one person's boredom is the next person's excitement uh-huh, too. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it the the good news is is that whatever it is, it's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. It's not manipulated by us uh, in any other way, and it is kind of the fly on the wall. You were yeah, there that's, experience. That's part of your imperative. Yeah. Well, with, with, with that out of the way, what are some of the, the, the better 
programs that stick out in your mind. I know one that has become particularly famous was the confrontation at the BEA convention between Al Franken and Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. I guess you've probably shown that a couple of hundred times now. Well, thank, we've thank God. shown it quite a bit because yeah. we, people just keep asking for it. But what you are know, some of the other big ones? It, it, that is an anomaly, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I mean, if people think that they're going to to see that kind of thing every weekend, mm-hmm. then they probably wouldn't be interested in book TV because uh, it, that was somewhat unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But what do you find to be among your most requested uh, repeats? Well, I would say um, people love different things. They love our in-depth series, which is the first Sunday of every month. We do a three-hour program um, that is like the the John Updike program that Mm -hmm. was done in December. Mm -hmm. Um, We take a writer and that has written a, a, a good body of work, mm-hmm. and we give them three hours mm-hmm. where we talk through not just the latest work, which is what it, you know many of, our, um, many of our programs are, the latest work of an author, but we get an opportunity to do the complete body of work, mm-hmm. which people seem to really, really like. Uh, and that has become very popular. We also have our new signature series. Actually, it's not new anymore. It's going to have its first anniversary uh, in January. And that is our experiment with seeing, with bringing in guest interviewers, mm-hmm. people who have some kind of connection with a book that we think they would be would be um, an interesting combo. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing that every week for a year now, and it, it, it's getting a lot of mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Some people love it, some people don't like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we'll Seems be to con- introduce a, a new kind of element for you. There's there's something of the of an editorial element about that matchup. There is something of an editorial, but you know, the choice of a book is an editorial. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, we're not. We realize that our job as journalists in the choices of books is probably the biggest choice that we make. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very conscious about that. We do statistics every month on the types and the issues of books mm-hmm. that we do, on the political, um, political leanings of a, of, of a speaker, an author. Mm-hmm. Um, we, if, if we do a book on a public policy issue, we're out there looking to see if there are any new books on another view of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we're, we're very conscious of that. Uh, we also are doing some experimenting with book clubs, mm-hmm. seeing if there is a way in which that um, feeling of being at a book club could be interacted with. Uh, mm. And then the Book TV Bus, which is just launched about a month ago and is going around the country kind of expanding us and, and, um, and marketing the book TV programming. Mm-hmm. You have... Um, not only all this new programming coming up, but you must have at this point an absolutely uh, cavernous archive. You've got some really wonderful uh, programs. You've got years of, of interviews and right. meetings behind you. How do you select which uh, shows are going to be repeated? Oh, you know, it, that's a hard thing to to say. Sometimes, sometimes it's a news peg. Mm-hmm. Sometimes something is happening on Capitol Hill that is reflective of something that we did five years ago, or some person um, 
is again hot in the news or is getting a lot of attention for something, we'll pull out the Encore, the book notes program that we had, so people can see. Well, what was Richard Pearl saying about you know mm-hmm. uh, the the Middle East and and this and all of this ten years ago, mm-hmm. and so things that we find make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's just pure enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Do you have? Any idea? Uh, well, I'm sure you do. Of your audience size? No. You don't. No. You, you don't know how many people are watching. We don't know how many people are watching on any and any given time. We know that about 80 million people, 80 million homes, excuse me, in the country have access mm-hmm. to to C-SPAN two. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do not take ratings. We don't participate in them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we don't come in Monday morning and say, ooh, what a good weekend, or ooh, what a bad weekend. We probably will come in and say something like, hey, that was very interesting, or like we were talking about earlier, boy, you know, we had really higher hopes for that author. Um, But, uh, no, we don't know how many people are. One thing I've observed as a publisher who's been lucky enough to have some of his authors on book TV mm-hmm. is that there is an amazing response. Well, uh, and we get that response from publishing companies also. And it you I'm know, going, that does yeah. make a difference. We we know you don't get that kind of response with no one watching. Right. So but if you want to know numerically, no. But we do know from watching our mail, watching our emails, well, hearing what, from publishers. What I'm getting at is that it uh, my feeling about book T V has been always that while it may not have the audience numbers of a network TV show, it is uh, just a pure demographic of, of, of literary people, mm-hmm. um, whether they're booksellers or, or just avid readers mm-hmm. or, or academics or publishers. You, know, um, uh, you must be hearing from more and more people as time goes on in the industry who want to hawk their wares <laughs> on book TV. Well, there's no question the industry is excellent about their communications with us on their new books. They they definitely want to get them on book TV. How do you you handle that? I mean, it must be getting, uh, as as, uh, the book business develops in these difficult times, um, you must be hearing from more and more publicists. And I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering how you feel all of that kind of uh, 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 the onslaught. Yeah, well, first of all, um, our producers do a very good job of kind of pulling apart the books that they think um, ha- will, would be good for book TV mm-hmm. and that, uh, you know, that we think are good books. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we take into account, have we done five books on Benjamin Franklin? Do we really need to do another one mm-hmm. kind of issue, mm-hmm. you know, on the topic? Um, and, uh, you know, our folks are journalists. Mm-hmm. And, yes, you know, we do get barraged by a lot of people, and they do have interesting ways of coming up with ideas that they they think we can cover them. Uh, Some we take, some we don't. Mm -hmm. Well, as as one of those people who's also regularly after you (laughs) to talk to our writers, I have to say that it it seems like a very straightforward system. It is a pretty uh, straightforward system because it's based on the C-SPAN system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it has a fairly clear-cut editorial journalistic way of looking at it and what we think, you know, does make interesting television for a a certain group. I did have an author say to me recently, um, and this was uh, he that he had more response from being on book TV than he had from being on a network morning show. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, that that was gratifying. Uh, he didn't have to tell me that. So I do know that we, you know, we do have an impact. But we also, if we didn't have publishers bringing some of these books to us, all the trolling of bookstores in the world wouldn't allow us to find some of these of these books. Mm-hmm. And um, it, this may not be an example of that, but an example of an author that we really didn't know was one of yours was Henri um, Lévy. Oh, Bernard Henri Lévy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I had never heard of him. Uh-huh. And one of the producers came in and said, you know, this book about Daniel Pearl, this guy's been out there. He's been speaking. You know, we should look at this book. Well, let me get to something that I know people are going to want to know about which is, um, for years, one of the strongest programs or the most popular programs on book TV was Brian Lamb's interview show. Mm -hmm. And he has finally relented the seat that uh, he he put off due to overwork, I think. Just having to to read and prepare an author a week um, was a lot of work. It was. And he's he's, he's let that go for now. You, You luckily show from the archive on a regular basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, but I, I'm sure people miss that program. Oh, they do. And they... and and you're under great pressure to put it back on. And, and I'm wondering if Brian Lynn doesn't nose around your office every now and then, hoping to get back on the air. <laughs> well, as you know, Brian is the founder and CEO mm-hmm. of this company, so um, he, he has a. <laughs> if he said he wanted to do book notes again, uh, we would do it. You could find a slot. Yeah. I think so. Uh-huh. <laughs> But, um, you know, programs run a certain period of time. And he was just, just said, you know, a book a week was, he, it was a labor of love for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was up until the end. But he finally said, you know, it's time to use that, whatever, five, six, seven hours a week uh, that he was doing, using to read the book to mm-hmm. do other things. Well... Um, let me close our discussion by just asking you about something else you mentioned briefly earlier, which is the book bus. <laughs> the book bus. Tell me, what is that? Where is it going, and uh, how much is the fare? Well, how much is the fare? Well, the the book TV bus is a huge school bus that started, uh, that's been revamped uh, and is traveling the country telling people about book TV. Uh, It's gone to about 20 cities so far in the last, uh, I would say, six weeks or so. And they're just putting the schedule, beginning to put the schedule for next year. It goes to bookstores. Mm -hmm. It goes to libraries. It goes to any place that has a literary connection. We've had buses on the road for for quite a few years, school buses on the road, where we would go to to, uh, schools and tell students about C-SPAN government. Well, we've taken one of those, the two buses that have been out there, and we've revamped it to a book TV bus. So if if you go to um, booktv.org at the beginning of next year, you'll be able to see the calendar of all the cities uh, the book TV bus will be going to. The inside of the bus is is a studio. Mm-hmm. So it is our hope that as we get moving on this, we will be able to do more and more programming from out on the road. Mm-hmm. Again, being able to go into a, 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 a town and interview a local author mm-hmm. and give them some uh, exposure 
on book tv as well so it's a two-way thing it's marketing it's programming and and it's a lot of fun and we you know are always inviting people in to to see it it is a high-tech wonder oh really yeah it's really it's very interesting to see um how uh, inside a school bus you can have a complete set including and one person can be directing doing audio the whole nine yards Mm -hmm. Do, do you have to drive that bus yourself? I wish. <laughs> when I saw it for the first time, I sent an email to my boss saying, my bags are packed. <laughs> uh, you're ready to go. So ready to go. Uh, so we do hope to get out um, into some of the communities uh, with the, the Book TV bus staff and, uh, and be able to visit some of these bookstores and libraries across the country. And you'll be seeing the fruits of that on Book TV uh, probably on a weekly basis mm-hmm. in in the next month or so mm-hmm. because part of what the book tv bus staff is being trained to do is to do vignettes about a store mm-hmm. or interviewing a local author they get that video back to us and we use it as short interviews between programs mm-hmm. or or just um uh, other other uh, programs, you know, uh, that that hook up to different programs. We don't have commercials, mm-hmm. so we have other things between programs. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll get some pretty versatile programming out of that. Yeah, I think so, and I think people will just see a wider variety of what we've been doing for the past seven years. Well, Connie Debley, the executive producer of Book TV, thanks so much for Thank coming you. on to Mobiliz Radio. Appreciate it very much. And from the virtual pile of reader email, subject line, your manhood. Uh, no, 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 wait, I meant to read uh, this one here. Subject line, documenting disaster. This one comes in from listener Brady Russell, who identifies himself as a member of the Underground Literary Alliance from Philadelphia, PA. He writes in concerning my interview with author James Marcus, who had written a book about living through the Amazon.com bubble crash in the late 90s. We discussed the fact that it was kind of interesting that there were no similar inside-the-bubble-crash stories from the 1929 stock market crash, the other great significant crash in American financial history. Uh, Brady Russell writes in that there is, in fact, a fantastic insider account of another great American bubble in a book that might surprise you. Russell writes, quote, Mark Twain's Roughing It includes an account of the gold rush. I had no idea, but it includes a crazy amount of bubble stocks, shares in mines that have shown no evidence of gold. It's also remarkable because it takes place geographically in pretty much the same place as the internet gold rush. Subject line, radio interview. We hear the following from someone named Stu Taylor. He says, I provide a unique service for publishers and authors. I am the host of two nationally syndicated radio shows, both entitled Equity Strategies. I am currently on 60 radio stations, as well as the worldwide internet. My successful show on a 40,000-watt Boston business station, WBIX 1060, with a powerful reach into six New England stations, is entitled Stu Taylor on Business. He continues, for a fee, I will serve as a host and interview authors to provide exposure and promote their books. Well, I think this one is actually meant for Melville House, somebody trying to sell us airtime, actually, for our authors, or or actually trying to get a bribe for us uh, in order to talk to our authors. Let's move along. Subject line, you're an idiot. It's from (laughs) Mark White in New York City who writes in that 
you're an idiot. Uh, I think this is referring to my interview of Foetry.com founder Alan Cordell, which we also had other mail about. We heard again from academic poetry prof Michael White. Listeners may remember that White had teamed up with fellow prof Janet Holmes in response to my interview of of Foetry.com founder Alan Cordell. White and Holmes each wrote very long letters, which they then both withdrew when I said they were too long to read. Uh, it was too long to read both of them in, in the entirety on the air. Um, but I had offered to, to read extracts and they withdrew them. But in a new letter, White writes, Dear Monday, I mean Moby. So why did you use the past tense on your show when referring to poetry? Is that any way to treat a mentor? Best, Mikey. P.S. I tried to keep it short. Well, glad you understood the concision part, uh, Mikey, but don't forget the part about making at least a modicum of sense next time. If you would like to have your letters to the editor read, you can write into Moby at MobyLives.com. We'll do our best to get it on the air as long as you keep it under a million words. And that's our show for Monday, the fifth day of December in 2005. Thanks to Connie Debley for coming on the show and giving us all the dirt on Book TV. She spoke to us from C-SPAN's headquarters in Washington, D.C. Thanks to, to our engineer, Andrew Steinmetz. Steinmetz. Andrew, you can fix that in the mix, can't you? Thanks, too, to our reporters, Kelly Burdick, Becky Kramer, and publisher Valerie Marion, all at Melville House. We'll be back tomorrow with a report from our new Miami correspondent, Emily Schmall, and later this week we'll be speaking to the former poet laureate of Queens, New York, Hal Surowitz, who's also the inventor of Hal Coos. We'll be talking to French mega-writer Bernard-Henri Lévy. We're going to have another far-flung reading report. We'll have the UK report from Mark Thwaite of Ready Steady Book, the Canada report from George Murray of BookNinja.com, and much, much more. You don't want to miss it. In the meantime, it's important that you remember that whale is out there, man. Que tous ceux qui sont dans la vibe Lève-toi Que toutes celles qui sont dans la vibe Lève-toi Que ceux qui sont assis se lèvent Suive pas Allez maintenant on y va Ces soirées-là, avant même qu'elles aient commencé On est déjà dans l'ambiance à peine entré sur la piste, on lâche nos derniers pas Avec bien plus de cils que Travolta Pas le temps de souffler dans la foule, on part en reconnaissance C'est la seule chose à laquelle on pense Chacun fait son numéro pour en avoir un Vu qu'entrer sans rien a pas moyen Ces soirées-là En l'air, on faisait voltiger, on faisait les gars, on faisait les go dans la ronde. C'est là que sur elle je suis tombé, elle est si, j'en suis resté bouche bée. En temps normal abordé, j'aurais pas osé, mais tout est permis dans ces soirées-là. Mais c'est sûr
sur elle que j'ai craqué. Mon jean allait craquer quand mes yeux sur elle se sont braqués. Bon, là, elle est seule, je fais quoi Je vais lui parler Non, vous mieux que je me calme avant d'y aller. Mais qu'est-ce qu'il attend pour venir me voir Bon, j'y vais sinon, je vais encore le regretter. Ah, enfin, elle s'est décidée, peut-être que ce soir. T'inquiète, la soirée ne fait que commencer. Cette soirée là Dans la vibe, que toutes celles qui sont dans la vibe, que tout le monde main dans la main. Allez maintenant tous ensemble. En haut, en bas, à gauche, à droite. En haut, en bas, à gauche, à droite. Cette soirée-là. Jusqu'à l'eau, 